I do hope that Mr. Wick finds his way to safety. He knew the rules, he broke them. He killed a man on company grounds, Sharon. Do you expect him to make it out? $14 million bounty on his head. Every interested party in the city wants a piece of it. I'd say the odds are about even. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen. It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis, and this is episode number 209. And our movie this week is John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. Joining me to talk about it, because he hadn't seen it before, and uh, I hadn't either, is Cyrenix from the Part-Time Gamers. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, and uh, yeah, just continuing on since we talked about talked about uh, John Wick two. Figured might as well talk about John Wick three. So, yeah, yeah, you got a hold of me. It was like, hey, we need to do John Wick three. Chapter four is coming out soon. It makes sense. I think oh, yeah. chapter four uh, comes out next week. Comes out like so by, next week, yeah. By the time this episode goes live, you'll be able to go. Um, you'll be like a day away from being able to go see John Wick chapter four. And uh, I'd also been getting like crap from friends of mine. My one of my friends is like, you haven't watched Chapter 3 yet? It's got your boy in it. I'm like, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm like, I've been saving it. And so here we are to see it. So we watched Chapter 2 together uh, or yep. for the show. Well, um, yeah. And I saw John Wick, the first John Wick, a few years ago. Um, uh, it was probably like a year or two after it had come out um, when I saw the first one. And... It was one of those that had completely slipped by my, you know, slipped under my radar. And then yeah. I was like, oh, Keanu Reeves is in some action movie that I keep hearing good things about. Let's watch it. And at the end of it, I was like, more. I need, I need more. Oh, Just shoot it yeah. into my veins directly. <laughs> they give us chapter two and it expands on it. We talked a lot about the, the expansion of the world. Because the first movie was a nice self-contained little story. And if it had never yeah. gone beyond that, perfect. Um, yeah. But they did things really well, and now Chapter Three picks up right after the second movie, like literally ten minutes after the the end of the second movie. Yeah, and uh, whoo, boy, uh. yeah. And actually, on the that whole factor of time, one thing that is I, I think important to note is so far in the even though the movie's been spread out over several years for their production and everything, actually in the story the whole thing so far has taken place in about three weeks. Yeah. It's around there. So he's probably like when we're going through all the, all the details of what's going on in this movie, (laughs) he's probably still healing from the wounds that were inflicted on him in the first movie. Listen, obviously (laughs) this is a universe uh, inhabited by superhuman beings that can take John wick being the most superhuman of any of them. Like he is, Oh yeah. He is nigh invulnerable. I mean, he takes damage. He gets hurt. But it's like Deadpool wishes he had the healing factor of John Wick. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I actually, at the end of my notes, I wrote that he has plot armor plus 20. (laughs) Yes. Um, I love. So the the movie kicks off, like you said, 10 minutes after. So chapter two ended with John had killed the guy on the continental grounds. And Winston, who runs it, the manager, is like, all right, dude. You messed up. Um, I'm going to give you an hour. 
but you're going to be excommunicated. Yeah. Everyone's going to be coming after you. And John was like, yeah. look, I get it. And thank you. I'm out. And he takes off with his dog. And so we pick yeah. up that 10 minutes later and he's just running through New York with the dog. I love that dog, by the way, that dog yeah. was awesome. And the dog's <laughs> just trotting next to him and they're like, they're, he, he's running and he's doing the Keanu Reeves run, which is like the yeah. run of somebody who has broken both of their ankles several times. <laughs> And oh, is yeah. now in his 50s. Like, it's really funny because he is, Keanu Reeves is in such good shape in this movie. And he does so much amazing stunt work and choreography. But he definitely still moves like a 50-something-year-old dude that has been through the ringer. Um, and I love that. It actually makes the character, like, more endearing to me to see yeah. that. Um, and uh, there's one thing kind of in, in line with that is, one of the things that and we'll expand on my point in, in a little bit when we get later on, but uh, just right up front so far of the three John Wick movies, this is my least favorite. Oh, uh, and, but that's saying like if the first John Wick first two John Wick movies are nines, this is like an 8.5, mm -hmm. you know, saying it's the worst of the three, you know, doesn't really mean a whole lot, but there's a little bit of, one of the reasons why the, the first two movies were so good is because of how grounded they, the combat was. Like, you could count the number of bullets and they would match the guns. Mm -hmm. You know, they would, you know, that kind of stuff. He was very efficient. There was very few superfluous moves in his technique. They basically double tap to the chest, one shot to the head, move on. There's a little bit of a loss of that in this movie. There was not much. It's but. very it, it's slight. I did notice it. There was yeah. there was at one point I'm like, wow, we're not seeing him like we're not seeing him reload as much. But part of that was I think that in the effort to continue to evolve the action and not yeah. let it become stagnant, Chad Stahelski and the stunt team and, and Keanu and everybody wanted to change things up. Because one thing I did notice with this movie was there was a lot more um one on several type fights. Yeah. Instead of like we saw yeah. in the first movie, there was definitely like the nightclub and he goes in there and he takes everybody out. But there again, it's, it's him. It's like one person uh, at a time. And he just methodically moves yeah. through. Whereas we got, um, we got more of kind yeah. of the, the kind of gang pile on him. Um, yeah. And then Which makes sense yeah. because of the fourteen million dollar goes up to fifteen million dollar bounty on him. Everyone is going after him at the same time. Yeah, not only that, but then um, the introduction of the uh, the tables uh, people at the end that have the yeah. different armor. So he's got so that yeah. changed that whole encounter. We'll kind of we'll get to that in a little bit, but that whole encounter yeah. was then structured and done completely differently from anything we had seen in John Wick to this point. So I get what you're saying, and you're right. There was a little yeah. loss of that, but it's kind of like, yes, but at the same time, we also lost a little bit of the grounding in that John gets even more stabbed and broken in this one. <laughs> and just like, it, yeah, those he took a couple pills from the doctor. Fine. No, no problem. Anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and granted, like, even the, if it was any other action series, like if this was like expendables or whatever like that, what wouldn't even be noticed or anything, mm -hmm. but because it's John wick and it has that, that, uh, that pedigree of being like the specific kind of combat and everything, yeah. it was noticeable. 
But like I said, if the first two were nines, this is an 8.5 in my mind. It's still and, really good. And I will say the only time I really felt the like we're not counting the um, we're not counting the rounds hitting the ground type thing was really just the fight with him and Halle Berry against all the soldier dudes in Morocco. Because to a degree, yeah. If you think about it, like so we start off, he's running in the rain, he ends up at the um public library. And because yeah. he finds a cab, and I love that moment where he, he gets the cab and he starts off and he's like, Get me to the Continental. And the guy says, Sure. And then back, you know, it's New York traffic. You're not going anywhere. So he gives him the gold coin and to get the dog to the Continental. And he yeah. he takes off on foot to get to the library instead. And in regards to that, also, I have a little bit of a theory, just kind of like a world-building theory. Uh, because we mentioned in John Wick 2, they just go into all-out gunfights in the middle of the <laughs> middle of a crowd, and nobody reacts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's because it's like the general public knows at least that these organizations exist. They might not know specifics, mm -hmm. like its of its structure or anything, but they know that there's like... Weird stuff like this just happens uh, at from time to time, and it's become something that's just so kind of commonplace that they're just like, oh, whatever. It, it doesn't involve me. I'm just going to cross the street over here. <laughs> Could uh, be, yeah. Because, like, and you also don't know how far it extends because, obviously, this, this cab driver is just, as far as we know, just a normal cab driver. But he still knows what to do with the gold coins. Well, yes and no, in that if you noticed, he, he was a yellow cab, but his was an old yep. school looking cab. And all the other cabs on the street were a much more modern model of car. Okay. They looked more like your Crown Vicks or whatever would be a yellow cab on the street today. And this looked like a yellow cab from like the 50s. And one of the things they've done in this world okay. is this mishmash of like, we've got technology We've got people with PDAs and smartphones and like the the slider phones and all that, but then they're entering in all their information on a Commodore VIC twenty with an old green yeah. and black monitor. So I feel like okay, I so felt that that was a distinguishing factor was the model of the cab. Yeah, that cab looked like okay. an old old cab, and I think that it was that's why John got in was he knew it was a friendly cab. Um, okay, but yeah, so okay, I could see that. So then John heads to the library and we get our first like real action scene where he, he goes into the library and I love this cause he's, of course he's on a time crunch, right? So he's constantly oh, checking yeah. his watch and he gets in there and there's somebody in front of him in line. He's like, and he goes up and he, he asks for a very specific book and then he's got, we have to stand there and wait with him while the woman looks up the book and writes it down for him on where to go. <laughs> and like it's John Wick is, is almost polite to a fault because he doesn't yeah. flip out on her and he goes up and he finds the book. And then we have like to kick off this movie action wise with a fight with Keanu Reeves and NBA player, Boban Marjanovic. Yeah. Cra it's just seven kills foot four. Yeah. seven foot four. And he's, he's an NBA player. So he's obviously pretty agile, but I also, I just liked him. Like I thought he had a nice screen yeah. presence and it was just funny to see, like he comes walking up and he's just like, you don't, you really don't want to do this. He's like, $14 million, going to do it. And they just have the fight right there in the library. Yeah. And it was, <laughs> I had like. Yeah, it was brutal. By the end of it, because he's using that book. And that's, I've seen that that type of maneuver before. 
um, with the use of the book. I remember there was a Jason Bourne, uh, I think it was Bourne Ultimatum, where he had a fight and he had a book that he grabbed. And same thing, he would put it up against the, the person's face or the side of him or something and punch that and let that kind of transfer the, the energy through. But then he takes and he breaks the dude's jaw with the book. Yeah. Oh. And then, oh, I was like, um, okay, all right. So yeah, the, this is where we're going. <laughs> they're, yeah. They're holding nothing back. There's, there's definitely a lot more brutality in this one, seemingly, compared to the last two. Which kind of makes sense because things the stakes are going up for him. And yeah. a lot of this movie... Uh, is is John dealing with kind of two halves of himself that we'll kind of get to. Um, yeah. But yeah, after that, he ends up at the doctor, um, which was great to see Randall Duck Kim back as the doctor. Uh, he yeah. Even in that short part, but I just, I loved him <laughs> at the end. They're never going to believe well, that I stopped. So you're going to have to shoot me. But well, also, we forgot to mention why he went to the library. Oh, well, yeah, he had... Uh, yeah, he had hidden a, a, I believe, a marker and a a rosary in the mm-hmm. uh, in the book. Yeah, uh, it was a secret compartment. I mean that that comes becomes important later on. So I just wanted to make sure we didn't gloss over that. Yeah, but there's there's so many like little things, little moments in this that you don't think about, and then as they're happening, but then when you look back on it, you're like, oh, that's a really cool just little detail. And yeah. one of my favorites was when he goes to the doctor, he's got 10 minutes before his his time is up. And everyone knows this, even including the doctor who's who's just like, "No, I can't I can't help you. You're you're excommunicado." He's like, "I got 10 minutes. Just let me in." And so he's doing the suturing. <laughs> and uh the doctor stops right at the time. So John finishes it up. But as he's getting ready yeah. to leave, he's like, "Look, nobody's going to believe that I stopped." And they're they're gonna know that I pointed out where the medicine is or whatever. He's like, you're gonna have to yeah. shoot me to make it seem realistic. But then he's smart enough to take and get his clothes out of the way. Yeah. So that there's not there there aren't fibers from his clothes that he would have the problem of getting something infected from. He's he just has to worry yep. about the bullet. <laughs> I'm like, that's a smart move by a, like a doctor would think that. That's something yeah. a doctor would actually think of. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, and I also thought it was kind of amusing the fact that John didn't even wait for him to finish his <laughs> sentence before he shot him. It's just like, I know what you're going to say. I'm just, I, I, I'm a surgeon with a bullet. So yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't have time for this. Um, yeah. And, but all right. So cast, cast of this movie, uh, they have done such a good job casting all three of these movies so far. Cause oh, yeah. you bring back Keanu who is great. And you bring back um, Ian McShane as Winston and Lance Reddick as uh, Sharon, uh, aka the yeah. concierge. Um, yeah, and this is actually the first movie they say the, they actually say his name. Yes, they never mentioned his name in the first two movies. No, nope. He's just the concierge. So, real quick, uh, because it just happened, uh, I want to have a moment and just mention Lance Reddick. Um, yeah. Sadly, passed away this week, and. Suddenly, he was only 60 years old. And yeah, honestly, if all you know him from are these movies, that's fantastic. But he had such a great career going all the way back to um, some stuff in the late 90s. He was on Oz. He was on The Wire. Um, 
I remember my first like vivid memories of him. I'd seen him pop up and stuff here and there, but I never really knew who he was. And then I started watching Fringe, where he was um, Philip Broyles, and he was great. He's got a great presence to him. He's a great voice actor. Um, if you uh, played, if you ever played Destiny, you've heard his voice. He's also yeah. um, he got to play a role in a, a game I played a year or two ago called Quantum Break. That was a really yes. cool video game because it had these live action television series segments in it that you would watch. And he was playing a character in that. Lance Reddick was great. He's also damn hilarious. Like he is a <laughs> funny dude. And yeah. he didn't get to do a lot of comedy roles. But it, whenever he would get to do something funny, it was it was always brilliant. But he's great in these movies. He's in Chapter 4. They did finish that already, so... Uh, that yeah, in fact, his... he was in, he was like on the promotional tour for uh, Chapter Four when he passed. Yeah. yeah. So just a just a moment to remember Lance Reddick and just what he was, and by all accounts and everything that you see, great person too. Yeah. Um, and he brought a he brought something to a role that's very very minor in terms of the scope of the John Wick films, but there is something to having an actor who has a presence and then he got to do, he got to play around with having a bit of a, I think it was a Kenyan accent. Um, yeah. And that just gave a little flavor to the, to the concierge that I liked. Um, and uh, it was just a, it was a fun role for him to get to play. And it kind of got a little bit bigger with each successive movie, which is always fun for an actor. Um, so yeah. yeah, he was, he was great. Um, Keanu look, just, kills it he's he's so good yeah. in this role and the thing you hear people say and and it's true and this is i think over time what keanu reeves figured out about himself in films and what i have come to appreciate more about him is that he knows he knows how to emote and how to get across information without dialogue and because yeah there i will I don't like to rag on actors too much, but there are times where actors just don't do a great job. Like Bram Stoker's Dracula, Keanu Reeves, love you, but the the accent was terrible. And <laughs> if you go back and watch, like he he, I'm sure he watched it, or if he could even watch it, and would be like, yeah, no, that's bad. yeah. But it's like over time he sort of figured out that that thing that he was really good at, and he can put that into a movie now. And like John Wick is such a good character for him because there's a lot going on. But he's a character who doesn't have to speak a whole lot, and apparently that's what Keanu is like. A lot of people have yeah. said he's he's not a you know, he's a quiet guy, um, but he just I mean, and clearly one of the nicest people uh, walking <laughs> the earth. Um, well, yeah, cause, yeah. After Lance passed, I saw that on Twitter you posted the the little excerpt about how. Keanu, like who wasn't even supposed to be on the set, came in on the set on his birthday in order to give Lance a a card of some kind, and uh, is, I mean, even things like that, and even from the past uh, stories of how actually like legitimately kind and nice Keanu is towards other people in general is it's yeah. impressive in in Hollywood these days. Oh yeah, and just like making sure that you know what whatever I mean, he makes his money, but he makes sure that the the people that he works with, uh, and cast and crew, um, you know, are well taken care of. And he just seems like just a genuinely good dude, but he also puts so much work 
into these oh, yeah. roles. At his age, to be able to do what he does and put the... He, he worked... I think he trained for four months before they started filming Chapter 3. Because they were doing some new stuff in this. And there was yeah. extra things that he needed to work on. And because they do so much of these long takes too, you not only have to work out, but you gotta, you've got to get your uh, cardio to be able to do yeah. long takes and resets and do more than one take. And yeah. to your point, you mentioned the kind of realism earlier. And even if you're not seeing, even if it's not like the exact number of shots per magazine and reload and all that that we saw in the first movie, um, like it's not quite as precise, his movements are still always the the tactically correct movements that you would expect and with a, a few exceptions but yeah i would agree and even very very few exceptions and yeah. and even some of those exceptions are kind of like oh well i wouldn't have done it that way but i kind of see what he's doing to a degree yeah there's there's like one specific instance where i think was a little bit of excessive but one out of an entire <laughs> movie is not not a barely even a i think because it was only one out of the entire movie it's why it was so noticeable to me that could be but yeah um but, but then we'll, he, we'll get to that later yeah but then he brings like he brings a good uh there's there's an emotion that he can give you without having to overact um yeah he's a very efficient actor in that way and this type of character i think works for him these kind of stoic or silent type protagonist that he can play or antagonist if he wanted to I'm sure it's just hard to picture him being a bad guy at this point true but it's yeah. it's just one of those things where he's so good at giving you emotion without dialogue or playing off of what someone else says and just kind of having a you know yeah answer um, that works and then on top of that in this movie he's kind of fighting two parts of himself now because we saw we've had glimpses of that right where he's yeah. he was out and then he has to come back. So by the end of the first movie, we're sort of, we've got the John that was out is now back to being John Wick. In the second movie, he's kind of really embracing that and going for it. And now yeah. here, he's back to fighting it a little bit of like John versus John Wick. You know? Yeah. Yeah, trying to, that that becomes a question, especially later on uh, with the counter with, 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 uh, too many what too many w's with winston <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> about it's like why are you doing this why do you want to continue living mm -hmm. and uh you know that he really has to wrestle with that it's like oh uh, there's a even a reference to oh uh, the once we get to the the russian theater there's actually a reference to a similar kind of that native american proverb of the two wolves yep oh uh, and it's like the evil one, the good one, which one wins, whichever one you feed. Yeah. So that just from that subtle bit as well, you can tell that that's going to be kind of a theme throughout the rest of that, at least this movie and probably potentially into the next one. Yeah. And it's that whole idea of like, okay, so is he going to, in order for him to continue to live at this point, he has to embrace the John Wick, the, the, you know, the Baba Yaga, the, the boogeyman yeah. aspect of things. But, all he wants is to go back to being John and just go chill yeah. with his with dog, uh, <laughs> which still does not have a name. Nope, still doesn't have a name. Um, <laughs> but just go chill with dog and remember his wife. And so he's got to fight with those two things. And just everyone and everything is in his way to do that. 
And yeah, yeah we get uh, we get some interest, <laughs> some interesting fights going on in this too that I definitely want to get to. Yeah. Um, but I, there, there's this so much more of this cast. Like Ian McShane as Winston is always good in everything that he does because he brings he brings a, like a, a gravitas to his roles, like a, a weight to them. But yeah. with this role of Winston, he has for the most part always seemed to be on John's side. But never like it's always been sort of not not necessarily tenuous, but like I'm on your side because it benefits me. Yeah. To a point. And I, that's where sort of the end of this movie was a little strange for me. And I'm still trying to work out exactly how I what I think about what happened there. Because yeah. it it feels like both a heel turn on his part and sort of going against John, but also like he kind of knew that John would survive in a way. Yeah, I, I think that's the important part, especially like because especially at that close range. Oh, uh, he could have shot John in the head and just ended it there. Mm-hmm. But he specifically shoots him in the protective jacket. Yeah. And, you know, knocks him off the roof. So, and we've already proven that John can defeat the world by sheer will alone. So apparently, you know, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, but, but Ian McShane in this gets to do a little bit more, which is nice. He's, um, He's presented with, uh, you're going to be replaced as the uh, manager of the Continental. And that is a huge thing because to this point, especially, he has been the Continental. You know, in the first movie, he is the highest level we see. And then in the second movie, we get exposed to the table and sort of realize that he has people he answers to. And now we're seeing the consequences of what he did at the end of that movie. Um yeah, you know, the adjudicator. Yeah, with and the adjudicator was another one of those really, really interesting roles, and that was an actor by the name of Asia Kate Dillon. Yes, um, who I was unfamiliar with, uh, but I never saw. I guess the the big role that they were in was Billions. Um, yeah, and then Orange is the uh, New Black. I think, uh, yeah, Orange is the New Black. Yeah, which I never really watched either. Um, but neither but, did I. But man. It, <laughs> Asia Kate Dillon did a, a great job of playing this role, which is coming in and being uh, you. Somehow, this new character has to come in and be intimidating to all of these characters without it feeling cheap or forced. Yeah, and Kate uh, and Asia is not an imposing figure. No, you know they they are very you know just not imposing at all but just has this this presence this just posture of i'm the most powerful person in this room and everyone knows it mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and just just by like present like putting that little coin on the table and just sliding it over to sharon it's like everyone knows like okay this is a this this is not going to end well for someone yeah no it's it's impressive to, you know, not be physically imposing and not have, but there, there was something with the way the costuming was and the, just the, the way that they carried themselves in this role. And 
and it worked and it was such a great, and this is, you bring it up perfectly when you say the most powerful person in the room in rooms full of incredibly powerful people, like everyone she runs, everyone they run into, um, is, is like head of whatever area they are currently presiding over. And the adjudicator is just like, doesn't matter. I make the rule. Like I, I make a call and it happens and that's it. Yeah. And it was a fantastic job in that role. Yeah. And a really, a really cool role to bring into all of this. Yeah. Cause up until this point, we've, we've heard of the high table, but we've never really seen any of the actions or anything Mm -hmm. like any interaction with the high table. This is the first time we've really started to see this, this high table organization that kind of oversees everything. Yeah. And just Asia's, like we were saying, Asia's presence in this whole situation kind of conveys the the power that the high table has over everyone else because Asia is more or less kind of relatively low ranking on the high table mm-hmm. and is still above everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. So, and doesn't doesn't need to have a name um, and just yeah. can show yeah. up and make everybody quake in their boots as soon as they see that coin, that coin that denotes they are an adjudicator that's it it's over like they're just like oh okay i gotta i gotta follow the rules um so it's really great work um lawrence fishburne back as the bowery king uh which is you can tell he's just having fun like he is just (laughs) loving playing this role getting to be just a little bit crazy um and uh you know again not a huge amount of screen time but a lot of important moments um, yeah, and, and it definitely sets him sets him up as a major player in the next movie too. Yes, I so. really, really liked how the Bowery King doesn't care about the adjudicator. He's the one person who the adjudicator shows up, and he's just like, whatever, go away. Like you have no control over <laughs> me, yeah. and and ends up in a rough spot because of it. But yeah. That was the cool, like that tell that gives you again, it gives you sort of a sense of this world of like the continental is very um, straight laced, follow the rules, all of that. And you get Winston is like, I don't think I want to do what you're telling me. And the Bowery is <laughs> dirty and, and scummy and he's got people everywhere. And the adjudicator shows up and he's just like, no, yeah, whatever. Um, so yeah, that, that's some fun stuff there. Angelica Houston as the director, when, when John goes to the Russian theater, which had, um, was it just, it was called the two wolves, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that and I was like, oh, that's a nice little, uh, you know, just a subtle thing they can throw in the background. Um, and then he, you know, he goes inside and there's Angelica Houston and she's directing the, um, and the girl that was on stage, uh, the ballerina in that was an actual, uh, she was a, she's a ballerina. And she said like, that's yeah. kind of how it goes. Like you're doing that move yeah, and we're, you're just doing it over and over. And yeah. Ugh. And kind of along those lines, like eventually they go backstage and oh. they see some of the other, some of the other ballerinas. And I just have a, a note in here that says toenails are for the week. Uh, I, that I was, had uh, a note of like, I'm covering this part of the screen up for a moment. Cause I know what's going to happen there. <laughs> And I don't need to watch uh, that. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, uh, 
we also we we kind of skipped over some some action scenes too. Well, we're gonna get to. Uh, I'm, I'm I just I I have to okay. mention these yeah, actors because if I don't, I will forget. Yeah. Um, but yeah. we're okay. coming back to action for sure. But like seeing Angelica Houston, who I haven't seen in anything in a while, and you know, I will always think of her as Morticia Adams because that yep. made such an impact. That movie made such an impact on me as a kid. It was like I was the perfect age for. Her as Morticia, Raul Julia as Gomez, and just the Adams Family movie in general. But she's so good in this in the small amount of time she gets because, once again, she has a presence to her. It's also great to name yeah. her character the director when her dad, John Houston, was a director. I kind of <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, and I, her mother was a, ba- really... a ballet dancer, too. So she's a director of a ballet. Like kind of nice yeah i i find it kind of interesting how how much more imposing someone can be when they don't have a name they just have a title yeah because that that happens quite a bit in this as well you have the adjudicator no other name you have the director no other name uh later on you have the elder no other name it's just like that somehow makes them more imposing without even ever seeing them because i think part of that is there you don't without a name you don't have a person to put to that all you have is the job that they're doing you have an an entity yeah and position and so you with without a name it's hard to then kind of wrap your head around them having any humanity they are just that that thing rather than a person so it's not you know it's not uh kathy the director it's just the director the director and therefore yeah um, but, and her, her scenes are great because we learned that John's name isn't originally yeah. John. Um, yeah. Jordani Javon, J- Genovovich. butchering this. Yes. That one. <laughs> uh, and we learned that he was from a tribe, uh, of people, uh, somewhere in Belarus is the way yeah. that it goes there. Um, which is again, you know, it's that, uh. It's that world building. It's those little crumbs of stuff. Like we learn a little bit more of that because the first time we see the the rosary in the book, it's just a ro- It's a cross. Yeah, uh, it's a ro- it's a rosary. But he walks in, and the, the director just looks at him like, "What are you doing here?" And he shows yeah. the rosary, and she's like, "You're showing me this like it means something." <laughs> Even though she knows full well what it is, and and then we find yeah. out that's his ticket, and then. That like that alone, again, there's this there's all this like ritual to this world. And in this case, it was the rosary and he, t- he keeps talking about his having his ticket. And it's like it's yeah. like a safe passage or a sanctuary. But then and and I loved the idea that she even says, I will tear your ticket. Yeah. And then the physical act of removing that cross from the rosary yeah. beads I was like, okay, we're not we're not just using language, like there's that's part of this ritual. Then to brand it on him, I'm like, oh man, yeah, this guy, yeah, that's like, why do all of these rituals and vows and <laughs> all these things? Why do they have to be so painful? It's like you get branded, you get you know, just later on we have fingers cut off and just like, yeah. oh, so much it, of it, all of them. But when you're watching the movie, how visceral is that? You know, you yeah. get you get the gravity of what's going on based yeah, on that. Yeah, that these like, are these are things that should not be taken lightly. Mm-hmm. Because and the fact that 
yeah, the fact that John is going through with this stuff shows like how desperate he is. Mm -hmm. And, and the resolve that he has because he's going to endure these things because it's not just that the director is going to give him safe passage to where he's trying to get to, which in this case is Casablanca. Um, it's the fact that he gets this one time he's cashing that in and he is now marked for life with that brand that he can never use that again. And, uh, so that's, that's pretty heavy. Um, uh, and then last actor I really want to talk about (laughs) Mark Dacascus. Yeah. (laughs) Because I, am an unabashed fan of Mark Dacascus. I have been since I first saw. So I remember in, in retrospect, I remember seeing him in dragon, uh, double dragon way, okay. way back. He was one of, he yeah. was, uh, one of the brothers, but the first like conscious memory I have of watching a movie of his was this movie called only the strong it came out in the mid nineties. Okay. He plays like he's an ex or he's a, he's a Marine that was stationed in Brazil and ends up coming home. He was from like Miami and he comes home and um, his, the school that he went to is all run down. It's like inner city drug kids, a sort of a dangerous minds type setup. And he okay. ends up getting involved with some of these kids in like an after school program to teach them martial arts as a way to kind of get them on the straight and narrow a little bit while there's like a drug problem going on. So it's, it's a cheesy nineties action movie. But it was my yeah. introduction to Mark Dacascos, and it was my introduction to the Brazilian martial art of capoeira, which, yeah. if you've ever seen that, is one of the most amazing things to watch, because the whole point, the whole point of capoeira, when you and I trained it a little bit in high school, very, very, very briefly, but the whole point yeah. of it while you're practicing is to not actually make contact and to keep the game going and keep moving, and it's a lot of flips and handstands and it's beautiful to watch. And I saw that movie yeah. and I was like, this guy's awesome. And I followed his career ever since then. Like I saw, you know, I would watch the crow stairway to heaven, which was a, um, a, a series they made that started off with the original, um, story from the first crow movie and went, I think it yeah. ran for like a season. He was Eric Draven in that, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, he went on to be the chairman on iron chef America, like, which yeah, is where most which- people have seen him. Which uh, also in my notes, I, I as soon as I saw him, I, the first thing that came to mind was Iron Chef Assassin. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and I was just amused by that. And because like I've been a fan of his for so long, like I, I've seen interviews with. I remember he was uh, interviewed on Alton Brown's podcast years ago because they became friends from Iron Chef America, and yeah. he was telling stories about when he was living. It was somewhere. I don't remember exactly what country it was. If it was the Philippines or Indonesia, somewhere in in Asia, but he would, uh, he made enough money doing whatever it was that he was doing that he could either take the bus and not eat for the day because he could afford a bus ticket or he could have food, but he'd have to walk to and from. So he had to make like yeah. he had to make that because they were talking about um, Alton was asking him about like, you know, getting to sit down at the table and have these meals brought out to him as the chairman from Iron Chef America and just how crazy that has to be. And he's relaying the story of like, 
Yeah, yeah, no, it's it, it's still weird for me to, to go through because I had to, at one point in my life, decide if I was going to walk and be tired but could f- eat or be hungry but not have to walk, you know, the several miles one way twice a day. So, you know, it's little things like that. But then you, you see how good of a martial artist he is and he's funny. And then yeah. this character, this character killed me. <laughs> now, I have to ask, was there a... Was, did did you like the character of Zero first of all? I did. I thought I'll. Uh, I thought it was a very interesting kind of uh, spectrum with him, because he's obviously very skilled in what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, but he also, in the midst of him being very skilled and you know being charged with killing John Wick, he just fanboys all the time, and I find it incredibly amusing. And it's like one other thing that I thought was kind of amusing when the uh, the adjudicator meets with him to kind of to hire him, basically. And he has this very, you know, kind of stereotypical Japanese accent when he's, mm-hmm. you know, doing his sushi and everything like that. And then she puts the coin on the table, pushes it over. He immediately drops the accent because he knows she's not a customer anymore. Yep. And uh, <laughs> just talks with her in plain English. Uh, I was kind of amused by that, but. I think he's a very interesting character because he has those. He's almost like he has the obviously the skill, but he's also like very childish at times. And it's I just thought it was an interesting kind of. It was fun because in the first in the first movie we had Adrian Palicki and her assassin character who like knew who John was, but her thing was trying to prove herself, and her proving herself was going to be taking down John Wick. Yeah, and. That obviously doesn't go so well for her. Um, yeah. <laughs> in the second movie, he deals with Common and his character, who they have some uh, history. Cassian. Yeah. yeah, Cassian. And they have some history. They know each other. Um, and so there's like a mutual respect, but also kind of mutual like dislike for each other at the same time. Yeah. They're, they were like two uh, junkyard dogs kind of circling each other all the time, like yeah, okay, Yeah. I know who you are, I know you're good at what you do, but I don't like you, and like if I have the chance to kill you, I will, type of thing. Yeah. Zero was cool because he was kind of a mix of both of those while also being like the kid that is looking up to his idol. <laughs> yeah. And it was the moment, so first, when, when the adjudicator first walks up to him and he drops the accent, I love that, and he gives her the blowfish <laughs> and she eats it. Yeah. That's a fun scene. He's got his cat there, right? He's feeding the cat and all that. Um, but when he when he sits down next to him, uh, after you know they they have the the whole action scene leading up to the Continental, <laughs> and John puts his hand on the stoop of the Continental, and that's enough to to get everything to stop because Sharon happens to be right there. When they yeah. go inside, and John sits down, and you see him. And then he makes it a point to go all the way over and sit uncomfortably close to John. (laughs) (laughs) And John Wick just kind of looks at him, gets up, moves to the other chair. And then it goes from like this weird, because up to this point, he's been very stoic and like very kind of hardcore. Yeah. And we saw one little crack when they were at Grand Central when they were walking up to each other with the knives and then the kids come walking in front of them and they both stop and they're just sitting there staring at each other. And he's like, see, that's the difference between you and you and me. I wouldn't have stopped, but he's still like very hardcore. 
And then you get this moment where he sits down next to him uncomfortably close and you're like, what is going on here? And then he just breaks all of it and goes straight fanboy. Like, I have been wanting to meet you for... And I was just like, I love this character even more. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and he plays it with just like... There's this childlike energy and exuberance that he has. And like this just... yeah. He's he's getting to hang out with his idol and like try to kill his idol. And for him, that is the greatest <laughs> honor he could have. And it's yeah, so which is, is, great. It also kind of shows like how these assassins, this assassin organization kind of works. It's like if they commission you to, you know, kill your own parents, you know, that's part of the job, basically. So it's like it doesn't you can have your your fanboys and everything. You can have all that. But it's like when it comes down to it, it's business. Uh, so as soon as they leave the Continental, that's it's back to shooting at each other, or yep. in this case, you know, trying to stab each other. Yeah. But I, I, I just, I'm amused by that. I, I love the fanboying in it. It was. It, I honestly was not expecting that, and I think that's what made it so much better. Is just all of a sudden he goes fanboy, and he, he's like, yeah, I want to fight you. No, you know the the whole thing where he kills the one dude, and he's like, nobody kills you but me. My blade will be yeah. the one that kills you. Like. But he's just, he's so excited to be fighting with John. And there's the great moment. And I, I definitely have an audio clip I'm going to play in a little bit of the two of them <laughs> after their fight. It's so good. But Mark Dacascus, yeah. plus Mark Dacascus is a phenomenal. He is, uh, I think, the same age or a couple of years, might even be a couple of years older than Keanu Reeves. Yeah. And it's amazing the way that guy can move still. Because oh, yeah. he he is in his fifty. He uh, in fact, he is fifty five years old when they made this movie. Okay, so at fifty five, to do what he did is, is phenomenal. He's in incredible shape, and I he can get you know he can go over the top goofy, and it works. He's just got like. It's sort of it's sort of funny too because he's kind of the opposite of Keanu Reeves in that way, whereas yeah. Keanu is very very closed off and very stoic, and it's almost like they they cast the perfect actor who tries to be that until he gets near John and then he's just like I can't I can't I can't hold it back yeah. anymore he's like vibrating with excitement. Yeah, Mark is very he's much more animated when he uh, when he's not being serious. Yep. Uh, and I agree. That's like that's the perfect kind of opposition to to John's character, who is just stoic all the time. Absolutely. Um, oh, I didn't mention, and I should have Halle Berry as Sophia. Yes. Um, yep. Was I didn't realize she was in this, and I thought that that was a, a really great um, moment to bring her in. It's so if I have a problem with the movie, it's not. Halle Berry, it's not her character. It's that part of the movie felt like felt like it was a little bit unnecessary or just went a little too long. And here's my reasoning for that. He yep. he has to take he has to go through a lot to get to Halle Berry and yeah. her character. And he meets with her. And that is a stepping stone to get to her former boss in the assassin yeah. uh, world which is a stepping stone to get to the elder. And it just felt like we were yep. at that point. It's not bad at all. Um, but if I were to redo anything like this, I would have trimmed that part down and maybe removed one step from that. 
Yeah, because theoretically, if you could, you could have completely eliminated Sophia's part from the movie and just have him go directly to her boss. Uh, because she's after that, she's not in the movie at all. Right. Uh, or, and, you know, or she could be that boss that he gets to in that Morocco too. and that because basically he goes to Morocco to see her to go to her boss to go to the elder. And we could have cut like yeah. one one link out of that chain. And if we're going to do any of that, I would get rid of the character of Barada um, over yeah. her because I think her character was interesting. Now, how are they going to get a fight scene involving Sophia and John against a bunch of people? There you'd have to do something with the elder. There'd be some restructuring, but like that's just and and yeah. I, and this is nitpicking. This is like knocking it down a quarter yeah. of a point or a half a star. Like it's nothing because well, I tell you what, having Halle Berry in this movie gives you a great actor and yep. she went through all sorts of training too. I saw so many interviews yeah. of her saying like, this is the most work I've ever done for a movie. This is the hardest well, yeah, stuff I've ever done for a movie. I got to keep up with Keanu, which is not easy. <laughs> and not and, only that, she had to train with the dogs. Yeah. Like, it like, I'm thinking the trivia, it said that the, the dog trainers, normally the dog trainers are just off camera directing the dogs and everything like that. But, she had trained so much with them that they the dogs saw her as their trainer. Yeah. And so she she had to go through all of that training too. Just getting to like three months of training those um uh Malinois um was just amazing. Yes. That's how it's pronounced. Okay. I was wondering and, that. <laughs> and those dogs were awesome. Like yeah. and that was such a cool layer to add to that scene because here again, as we're talking about how they were up the action in this and we've now got John and somebody working with him and they're taking on basically an entire compound worth of people. Oh yeah. But they also add in the layer of the dogs and it's all Chad Stahelski loves to do these long shots in his action yeah. sequences. And we talked about that in two. And I remember saying it in one where it's so much of, it's not up close and shaky and quick cuts. It's pulling the camera back giving us a long take, seeing the actors doing the action. You're seeing yeah. Halle Berry and Keanu Reeves and Lance Reddick and all these people in these action sequences doing all of this work. So yeah. they've got to structure all that around having those dogs and those dogs. Number one, they had, they had something against everybody's crotch because that was like, yeah, that number one that was actually one of the, one of the notes I made is the dogs really like chewing on balls. Uh, Boy, do they. Um, actually, what I had was, um, uh, what was it? Well, I loved when she says sit and the two dogs sit down. And she's like, I was talking to you, to John. Earlier. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I think my thing was he shot the dog. He deserved to have his balls bitten. Like, yeah, that dog. Don't, went, don't mess with Sophia's dogs. You no, that dog and that dog; those dogs were just missiles. And that again, that action—the the stunt people working with the dogs and like getting grabbed and flipped around and all this stuff—they had the dog, they had to run up the back uh, and up the wall. Yeah, up the that wall. That was awesome. That was oh, fun. It was, it was so good. Um, but yeah, I just Halle Berry was was great. It just wasn't in it enough. But I'm hoping that maybe her character comes back in chapter four. Because they've kind of done this yeah. with characters. They introduce some stuff in two, and then whoever was left 
can come back. And in this case, yeah. there wasn't really anybody left. So, um, well, except for the Bowery King, right? Lawrence yep. Fishburne. And so now they have a history, and their history is relatively positive in that they don't instantly want to kill each other the second they see each other. But she Maybe also inflict pain on, to, on each other, but not necessarily kill directly. Yes, like she's <laughs> as soon as he came in, she specifically shot him in the in the jacket, not in the head. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's a positive experience, yeah. for them. <laughs> um, more positive than any of his other relationships in this world. That's, we'll put it yeah. that way. Um, yeah, pretty much. But yeah, just uh, to then have like that whole scene end with. All right, we drive out into the desert, and now he's got to walk through the desert. And Keanu Reeves had to do that in that damn suit, which I'm sure was yeah. not fun. Oh, uh, that was another note. This suit must be the most breathable material ever for John to wear it <laughs> in the middle of the day in the desert. <laughs> so, and and again, this is like, I get what they were going for with this, and this for me was the weakest part of the film was from the end of that big action set piece with the dogs and Halle Berry to him returning to New York with his orders to kill Winston. Yeah. Only because it felt like, I don't know, it felt like there was nothing to really set this up ahead of time. Like we went, we're, we're told about the table, but we go from the table right to the one who sits above the table. There's always another layer, right? There's always a bigger fish. Yeah. And he's got to do this weird, like, again, it's the ritual of go out, walk through the oh. desert, and maybe he'll find you, or maybe you die in the desert. And, of course, he finds him. And yeah. the actor that plays the elder, uh, Saeed, um, I think it's uh, Tag Mahawi, Ma- Tag Tag Maui. I believe, but I'm I, I sure can't, you're pronouncing it better than I ever would. I can't remember how to pronounce his name, but I have seen him in other stuff before. Uh, and I was yeah. like, he's got a great presence and I liked him, but it's like this weird thing. And then he's got to chop his finger off to give him the, and it's, I don't, I don't, I don't it's, don't a, watch it's a that. good thing. John has good aim. <laughs> yeah. It's just one chunk, just finger completely. I, I, probably would have stabbed the middle of my hand somehow. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Uh, if I, I was I'm in the sure same situation. Um but this is more of the the world building that they're doing, right? And giving us what's going on here, but it just feels I almost feel like it was one level too far to go in this movie to expand. Like we went we went a circle or a half a circle out farther than we really had been prepared for. So again, is it bad? No, but it's it's something that I might it, not have done in this one. Yeah, it could have been potentially tightened up. Oh, uh, but yeah, I I personally didn't have much of an issue. I just found it kind of interesting the fact they went all the way to the Moroccan desert just to be sent right back to New York. That's uh, kind of part of it too. Is like yeah, he went through all of that just to go back to New York to kill Winston, which we already knew the table wanted him gone anyway. Yeah. So it's like that that could have been done. It could have been something that Halle Berry's character maybe tells him, like, well, I've been told that this is what you do to get back in, and you can cut that part yeah. of it. It's, And it's, it's my only real complaint about the entire movie because we get back to New York and things just go right back to action, action, yeah. action. Like he goes and sees Winston, and yeah. it just oh, gets better and better. But, man. Basically, of, it's, it's like 
the the phrase this all could have been in an email kind of comes to mind <laughs> like you could have uh, texted me just, this yeah just email the elder get the 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 orders back go from there yeah there you go <laughs> save yourself some frequent flyer miles um yeah but uh, we had so in the second movie we have that awesome awesome climactic fight in the hall of mirrors that's very yes. Enter the Dragon reminiscent, right? It was definitely inspired by Enter the Dragon. And you, you can tell Keanu and Stahelski and the writers are Bruce Lee fans because they're always putting in little homages to Bruce Lee. That's where, like, him fighting Bobon at the beginning of the movie is very reminiscent of Bruce Lee in Game of Death, fighting Kareem. Yep. Um, and we had... Yeah, there's a lot of references, like, yeah, homages in this movie. Which I loved. Um yeah. Even the stuff, like, I'm sure there's a bunch of them I didn't even pick up on because it's maybe something that I haven't yeah. seen or I haven't seen in 20 years or something like that. Um, but I was trying to think, I'm like, okay, they're going to do something in this climax that's going to be different. What are they going to do? And when he walks into that room for the first time to meet Winston with all the glass, I was like, oh, oh, this is a cool room, which apparently costs like $4 million to build. Yeah. Yeah, Which, oh, but like one thing that it's like we had there. I know there you and a couple other movie podcasts have different terms you like to throw on, like how things are made of explodium and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, in this world, glass apparently has the cutting prowess of cardboard. Uh, <laughs> well, in this world, glass is either uh tenuously held together and can break at a moment's notice, but not but not actually cut anybody or. It is the hardest substance on earth and you cannot get through it no matter what. Yeah. It, it's either bulletproof or it's just might as well be tissue paper. Yeah, basically. Um, which really makes this whole room made of glass an interesting place to set your final. Uh, yeah, because fight. it's like, okay, which is it going to be? Uh, is this going to be the one that doesn't break or? <laughs> it's a, it's a crapshoot. You never know when you throw somebody into the glass wall, what's going to happen. Um, yeah. <laughs> luckily they put all the strong stuff on the outside. So nobody fell to their death. Although but that like, would have made things a little bit easier. It would have, uh, there was but, the whole well, scene yeah. where the two, uh, the two underlings, the two, uh, they're, they're credited as Shinobi number one and Shinobi number two. And they yeah. are, uh, two of the guys actually from the raid, okay. uh, the raid two. I recognized one and I was like, Oh, these, I bet you these guys were in the raid. And sure enough, I looked and they were, and they're, Indonesian martial artists and they're they're phenomenal. Um, but that scene when they yeah. first bring him in and they're just throwing him into the glass containers over and over, <laughs> which by the way was a stunt double, um, but it was really good work. Like they never gave away yeah. that it wasn't Keanu. The guy moved like Keanu did, but after like yeah. the third thing they threw him into, I'm like, okay, that's not Keanu Reeves because <laughs> come on. Yeah. Um, the, oh, speaking of though, I, I just remembered this. I read. Uh, one where somebody asked him in an interview if he did any of uh, like which stunts he did of his own. And if he did the car, the car one yeah. where he gets hit by the car and he's like, I mean, I could, but then I'd end up in the hospital. So no, that, yeah. that one wasn't because that, that one, like, he gets hit by the car and then immediately gets hit by another car. Like John yeah. Wick is, oh. I don't know what John Wick is made out of, but I need some of it. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, just just listing the the injuries that this guy has sustained is making my knees hurt. <laughs> yeah, I know. Jeez. But 
a movie like this, what one of the cool things about it is um, that it is, you know, it's story tying together action set pieces, right? We're going to, yeah. we kind of know the rough cadence of how the film is going to go. We're going to get some story, we're going to get some dialogue, and then boom, action. And the action's going to go and go and go, and then we get a breather before the next action scene goes on. And sometimes that breather is very short, and then you get the next one and you're exhausted by the end of it, and sometimes you get a little bit more. Um, yeah. But every one of these action scenes, I don't know how Chad Stahelski has continued to evolve and innovate action and make something that is, it doesn't feel like you're watching the same movie. You know, it's very yeah. easy to, to be like, yeah, John Wick chapter three, chapter four, come on, you're just making the same movie and over and over. They're not. They're not making the same yeah. movie. They're doing new sh new shit all the time. Um, yeah, and I think part of that for this one at least is the fact that there, well, there, there's still a lot of gunfights and everything that like that, but the iconic ones are sword fights. Mm -hmm. That you have an entire faction of assassins that don't use guns; they're using all swords. Yeah, think about that first action scene when he runs away from the guys in, I guess it, it must be Chinatown. Or part of that. Yeah. And he runs into that room, closes the door, and he's surrounded by all those revolvers. And he takes the time yeah. to take them apart to put the right chamber in for the bullet that he wants to shoot and all of that, which is a cool scene because I'm like, he's taking the time to do all this yeah. while these guys are chasing him down. Um, Although I was a little bit disappointed with that scene specifically. Because he goes, they, they take all the time to show his prowess with how he, he knows the mechanics of a gun and how to put it together and tear him apart, get everything he needs. And he would use it for one shot and it's never seen again. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, it, I will say in his defense, though, he didn't know what was going to be in there. And there was only so many bullets in that room to be. Yeah. But with. even so there's like, there's at least six bullets on that rack. It's true. He could have loaded more in there. It's like, I was, I was hoping, I mean, I can understand if you used it for, you know, like five, six shots or whatever, and then discard it. But the fact that he just loads in one bullet, shoots the guy in the doorway, throws it away and runs. I was slightly disappointed with that, but you know, that's, but then we got that really, really cool uh, fight with all the knives and the axes yes. and everything that just kept going. Like, yeah. Okay, so that gave me shades of the hallway fight from Daredevil. Not quite the same, but okay. it gave me shades of that in that it just sort of kept going. And when you thought that the scene was going to be done, there was like another another moment and something else yeah. would happen. And it's that just being tired by the end of it. That's that kind of scene where you're just like, okay, I need to, I need to sit down. I need to catch my breath. Uh, and then, oh, we're still going? Okay, movie's going to keep going. Sure. Um, and also brutal, 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 brutal. Cause like, it's not just stabbing them with the knife. It's like stabbing with the knife and then beating on it oh, uh, to yeah. drive it in further. Like, ew. and, uh, yeah. One note I had is in, in all caps, uh, dude, why in the eye? <laughs> oh yes. So, oh, I did too. I, I think, um, uh, so, so, yeah. Why in the eye? Is exactly what I wrote. I'm like, why? Why? No, I don't. Uh, and the slow, because you know it's coming too. As soon as he starts to move that knife, you're like, oh, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah. Yep, they did. You kind of hope that it's like, okay, go. He's able to move it away. It's like, nope, it's going. Oh, no, oh, that's in. Yeah, that's all the way in that eyeball. Oh. Um, yeah. But, and he goes from that to uh, an action sequence in the horse stable. 
Yes. Which and uh, death by weaponized horses is the, th- the note I made for that one. Well, so I had uh, I had somehow I both did and didn't see the horse foo kill coming because the first time he slaps the horse and it kicks the guy, I was, I was not prepared for it, and yet I knew somebody was getting kicked by a horse. Um. And it was also really nice that the rain stopped by the time he left the stable. If you noticed, he ran in, and it was pouring, yeah. and he comes out, and it's dry. Um, <laughs> and Continuity. Then they, and then they do a chase scene on horseback with motorcycles. Like, it's not very long, but they did it, and I loved it. I thought that was great. <laughs> of him just riding off and then beating people. Yeah, it's just more more interesting stuff. And I think... I don't know how much legitimacy there is, but I think they worked in the horse riding thing because Keanu Reeves can ride a horse. Like, yeah, I, I read that trivia as well. It's like they tried to tailor some of the the action sequences to the actors in them, and he's, according to the trivia, legitimately a horse rider. So. Yeah. So you get that, and then he ends up at the... That's when he goes to the ballet. I think it was yep. after that. Um, but then... You know, he he goes to Morocco, he comes back. Now we've got the whole fight with uh, the Tables army that shows up in their armor. Yeah. And he has, first of all, we get the guns, lots of guns. Yes. That that made, made me smile. That. <laughs> then we get like the gear up scene, right? Where they go to the vaults yeah. and they open the big vault door and Winston goes in, pours himself a drink and here's John and Sharon. And they go through and they find the weapons and he's telling them about this and all that. And I love, they've made some armor improvements since you were last uh, working. And they go out there and uh, you get like, they're shutting down the power to everything, turning on the green lights and kind of the night vision and all of this. And immediately... Which is supposed to be an homage to the Matrix. A little bit of that, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then you get the... uh, get the first shootout and it's like, yeah, nope, these nine millimeters aren't doing anything. They're just bouncing off of this yeah. armor. Yeah. You have Keanu's like, he does his typical, you know, double tap to the chest, shot to the head, moves on. And then it's like, Oh crap. They're still moving. Uh, <laughs> just that expression. is like, uh, crap <laughs> there there again though that's that is the magic that keanu reeves has is he tells you so much in that moment with just a glance like he does his yeah. thing and he turns around and he comes back and it's like oh what this yeah. like it's so it's so well done and yeah and then i loved his workaround he figured out the the weak point yeah. was the neck just like shove up, pull the helmet up and shoot him in the neck a couple times or shoot into the helmet, which again uh, brings, yeah, just brings a whole new d- dynamic to it because he's, again, we're so used to him being very efficient with his, with his shots, you know, usually double tap to the chest, one shot to the head, move on. Now he has like, now he has to get in close and like get behind the armor and everything. So it, I liked that escalation of the action. Mm-hmm. Uh, to mix it up, oh, uh, and there and was then, yeah a, they go on. There there was a Sorry, better use of reloads and things that realism in that fight in that action yes. sequence, uh, which I did appreciate. Uh, but you're right, like he's also, using what he already knows and what we've seen him do, but now he's got to augment that. He's got to hit him a couple of times to like yeah. slow him down so he can close the distance and get the killing blow. So it happens. Um, 
and and it was a really well done action sequence. But then they they go back like we need more firepower, a a little armor improvement, and so that's when they bust out the shotguns. Yeah, I love Winston's reaction when he says, "We need more firepower." He's like, "Well," <laughs> without saying a thing, he just like motions with his hands. It's like, "Take what you need." Yeah, do what you got to do. Uh, so then they bust out the shotguns, and him and Sharon go back out, and it's uh, that's when John's like, "Okay, this this works a little bit better." <laughs> yeah, and it's actually at this point specifically that I that I have one issue. Okay. Oh. Uh, the scene where John, just before John ditches the the shotgun, he's firing. He's fighting against three people, and mind you, they're showing him reload. He's doing like an actual like, oh, uh, like tournament style reload, like quad and double reload with the shotgun as he's going yep. along. But he does the last reload that they show. Fires four shots at two guys on the on the catwalk, and then f- goes towards this one guy. Fire, shoots him a total of six times, three of which are after he's already fallen over the railing and is falling to the ground below. And it's yeah. like, first first of all, that's four more shots than the gun can actually hold, assuming it was fully reloaded. And the first three shots probably killed the guy already. You know, yeah, it's I did notice that. It's a little excessive. That felt out of I mean, character for John to like, to shoot the guy as he's falling over the railing. Like the guy's already been yeah. shot twice and he's falling. He's not getting up yeah. from that, but yeah, I mean, but granted that's, that's the most egregious I've seen. I saw in the movie and you know, again, any, the only reason why it was so noticeable is because it's not, wasn't a common thing throughout the other two movies. Right. So, but it's still like it's it makes for a, a really uh, it was a really good action sequence that ends with like oh, all yeah. right okay and he's tired and then he's got to fight the two shinobis in the glass room yes and that whole thing goes on and the, the dialogue there where they start talking to him that they apparently came up with that on the day yeah because supposedly like when he falls he's there's a some trivia that says they. Uh, Keanu was supposed to get right back up after he falls and he slept. and yeah, he like, he was just tired out from filming all that day. So he's like, takes a little bit of time to get up and he makes it into like this comedic moment where he's like, I got it. I'm coming, <laughs> gets up, walks past him. And, uh, although I do, there's a, a callback in that scene too, mm-hmm. because when he went into the, the Russian theater, they specifically asked him to take off his belt. Yes. Right after that, he takes his belt off and uses that to fight the shinobis. And it's like, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all he needs is a belt and he can take yeah. those two guys oh, on. And it's oh. he's he's literally killed people with number two pencils. Yep. <laughs> yes. So. But I was I was also amused how even the, the two shinobi were fanboying over him, too. They were. And, and and that's the dialogue that apparently they came up with on the day. And yeah. uh, one of them had been an English teacher in Indonesia, so he was able to translate it uh, on set. But they basically they came up with this idea of having that uh, going on and then having John at the end of it say, be seeing you, because that's kind of his thing. Right? Yeah. That's sort of almost yeah. his catchphrase. But him saying that to them in Indonesian and walking yeah. away. Like, yes, he at least can get by on, like, yet another language that he knows. Yeah. Um, 
But I also do think it's interesting how is like almost because for the the two shinobi, it they weren't really trying to kill John. They were just kind. Of, it just seemed like they were just excited to fight him, mm-hmm. and yeah. that was that's all they wanted to do. Because once the once it's clear that John beat them, that's it. They're left alive because yes. they did. It seems like they didn't really have any real intention on killing John in the first place. So he didn't really need any intention on killing them. Yep, and that's sort of again. There's John's code uh, that involved in that. Plus, you know, there you can add the layer of like zero. They were students of zero, and zero basically yeah. told them, you know, you don't kill him, kind of thing. But they still wanted well, to fight too. him anyway. Yeah. So it's like there's that level to it, and then he gets to zero, and then they have their fight, which yeah is phenomenal. And it just yeah. goes, and it's it's long, but it's it's so well done, and it's in again, just like with the shinobis, these last two fights are in that glass room. Yeah, you can't hide that, anything that, in that room. Like, yeah, your your acting, your choreography, and your performances have to be spot on because you can't hide anything in that room. Everything is wide open. Yeah, yeah. And like, especially in that fight as well, I I get the I get the feeling that this is where Zero's fanboying kind of was his downfall. Mm-hmm. Because you look in that fight, there are multiple times where he could have gotten a killing blow against John, and instead, like, did hilt to the face or something like that, something that's less than lethal. Because uh, I I just got this sense that he he want like the the Shinobi he wanted the fight to go on because he was just yeah. so excited to fight. John, yep, and then eventually it's like, oh, John's trying to kill me. Uh, I, oh, I'm already dead. Never mind. Yeah, oh, it's too late. Yeah. And the way that ended too, with the sword, and he stops it with the glove, and then you hear like the sword squeaks through the glove because yeah. again he's trying to hold it in place, but like that glove is probably got sweat and blood on it, and yeah. that's something I I can't think of another time I've seen something like that in a movie, and I thought that was really cool. Of like, oh yeah, no, that makes sense. He stopped the blade, but like, the, he can just slide right through that glove and yeah. stab him with it anyway. And it was again brutal, yeah. like the rest of this movie, very brutal. But it was something new that I hadn't really seen before, so I kind of liked that. Yeah. Um, and it's just, and then zero at the end. They're just like, even when he's dying, he was just so freaking excited that he got to fight John. Yep. <laughs> And then we have the fallout of uh, the adjudicator basically goes to Winston, and Winston's like, well, look, you, you might keep coming after me, but uh, it is New York City, and like I got yeah. connections beyond all this. And so they sort of come to a stalemate, and that's, yeah. when it's, uh, that's when Winston turns on John, shoots him, and knocks him off the building, which, again, it's like, what is this guy made of for him to fall off that damn building? jeez. Yeah. Oh, and hit the and and not be dead like dead dead yeah um it was it was something else and we get our you know sort of sequel baiting ending with uh him getting dumped in front of the bowery king who's yeah. scarred now he's got his Who, open wounds yeah mine we we missed the like the the bowery king's uh punishment which was seven cuts for because of the seven bullets that he gave john yeah and uh well, never mind. I was going to say something potentially rude, but I'll, I'll never mind. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 
so yeah, he's got all the scars all over himself because apparently, you know, he has some level of plot armor as well. And uh, the the seven cuts didn't kill him. Nope, I guess not. So, yep. And so my guess is we're going to see John probably teaming up with the Bowery King in Chapter Four. Uh, and probably, it's taking curious. the fight to the the high table. Probably, well, to the high table, but also what's going to happen with John and Winston? Because there's True. going to be some fallout there that's going to be very interesting. Because John. Uh, Winston and Sharon both like really took care of John and were on his side, but they turned on him there. But it's a question of, did they really turn on him or did they know something might happen? Yeah. Are they going to be able to somehow mend fences or is he just going to not uh, like, I, I'm really curious to see what, what happens with chapter four now because of that. Yeah. And I, in my mind, Winston is much more of a strategist. So oh, for he's, sure. he's thinking, a couple moves ahead it's like well if i do this to john this displays this kind of uh this kind of reaction whatever and you know he's thinking about because again you know he could have if he really wanted john dead just um, like for sure dead he could have just shot him in the head but instead yeah. he shot him in the bulletproof jacket and yes he fell off the roof but he kind of again assumed that somehow john would live or you know whatnot so he he has some kind of plan that still involves John, and I do think that there's going to be a little bit of animosity yep. between them to start off with in, in, in Chapter 4, but that Winston's going to explain, I had to do it this way so that you could have a chance to take, it to, take the fight to the high table. Yeah. Yep, definitely. I think I have a feeling that's going to be what's going to go on. There, there has to be something there. Um, yeah. This movie has uh, a good number of clippable moments, and I did capture oh, a few yeah. things, and I'm sure you're going to want to hear them. I'm going to start with just a selection of things I got of the Bowery King, because okay. <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne just having a blast. Yeah. Um, this was a little touch of angry acting where he uh, he just yells, I am the Bowery! And I liked that. That was kind of cool. <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> When when the adjudicator walks up and he's got all his pigeons, I loved his his talk, talking about them like they're the internet. And it's, yes, yeah. you see rats with wings, but I see the internet. And can't track it, can't hack it, can't trace it. Can you get disease from it? Well, I wouldn't recommend that you eat it. <laughs> I just loved that. Um, yeah. When uh, when she comes back, or they, sorry, when they come back, the adjudicator, uh, yep. and his, and again, the Bowery King don't care, right? He does not care at all. And so the adjudicator comes back, and he's just like, to climb down off your high table and go f yourself. <laughs> Winston would not say. Winston said oh, yeah. as much. But without the but more without politely, the, yes, much more politely. And Bowery King's just like, I don't care, man, get out of here. Yeah. And then finally, at the end, when John gets dumped in front of him by uh, trash, um, was it TikTok Man? Is the, the way they credit him as Jason yeah. Matsuzakis. Um, he dumps him in front of him, and I love that the dog uh, was there too. He followed him there, followed yeah. him there, and immediately jumped up yeah. on the the little sofa and sat down. Uh, yeah. And then he just says, "Cause I am really pissed." Off. I liked that a lot. Um, 
Yeah, just give me more Lawrence Fishburne. Just more. I want it. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was the TikTok man at the beginning, which this is that John Wick world. And I kind of like that they put this at the beginning to sort of like reset and remind you what kind of what this world is like where you've got. Yeah, it's New York City. There are people like him sitting there muttering or yelling at themselves on the street. Like, yeah, I have witnessed this. Um, and you, you do not you get to a point sadly where you kind of block it out and you don't notice them because it's which is their the, their strength in the movie is the, yes. that they can go unnoticed um, but, and they use yeah. that to their advantage and then when he just looks at John <laughs> no time to dilly dally Mr. Wick and I just loved that plus I don't know anyone else that says dilly dally and it's a term <laughs> that's just not used enough um, yeah. uh, Halle Berry they're talking about and again, this leaves me with questions I want answered. Like, what happened with her daughter? What, what's the history well, between her and John? Because something happened with her daughter that John helped to clean up. Um, well, or something. What I'm what I'm assuming is that she, the marker that she gave to John, was so that John could hide her daughter from her in order to protect her, and not tell her where her daughter is that that was the impression that i got from their conversation it was something so but... john yeah so john knows where her daughter is but she doesn't want to know in order to protect her daughter yes yes something and, like and there's there something but it was the way she delivered and this this again mm. you hire somebody with the the acting chops of a halle berry and you get because sometimes you have to kill what you love because it's an emotional moment, uh, and it yeah. worked. It worked for me. And then a little while later, after uh, her boss, in in his own way to test her, shoots the dog, shoots the dog in the bulletproof vest. Yeah, but he still shot the dog, which means immediately you you you're done. I'm done with you. Uh, but this <laughs> this exchange between Sophia and John is just epic. Sophia, don't. He shot my dog. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yep. Uh, if anyone's going to get it, it's John. There's the line earlier with the yeah. director. Uh, it was in Russian where she's, um, the director says to him, like, all of this over a puppy? And his response is like, well, it wasn't just a puppy. Yeah. It was so also like, a car. Yeah. Uh, so, that <laughs> I mean, that oh, the whole thing, like, is going on. You got... Um, yeah. What is Smash? Oh, this was the director. I, I really liked the the poetic nature of the way she worded this. How can you smash the mountains? How can you bury the ocean? I just I love that. The smash the mountain. Yeah. How can you how could you possibly go against the high table? You know? And and using guns. the phrase smash Lots of guns. <laughs> smash the mountains <laughs> and bury the ocean was so good. Yeah. Um, when he gets to Morocco, I just like this guy. He's sort of the Sharon of uh, the Moroccan con uh, continental. Welcome to Casablanca, Mr. Wick. Thanks. Plus, John, again, polite to a fault. Like he's he still says yeah. thank you. Yeah, <laughs> that cracked me. Thanks. Like it's a genuine. <laughs> it, he's like he wasn't expecting to get that welcome 
Uh, and it's just that genuine. Well, yeah, because of Thanks. what immediately happened before that. Yeah. She got um, jumped by a couple guys, and <laughs> that's what he was expecting. Yep. And I did like when the when the guy comes out, he's like, he's to be left alone, but he's excommunicado. Yeah, no, don't worry about it. Like, yeah, doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and th- then there was this one, which I believe was in the trailer as well. Guns. Lots of guns. <laughs> a nice a nice matrix callback. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. If only he had said it to uh Lawrence Fishburne instead of uh, yes. <laughs> Ian McShane, that would have been perfect, but alas. Uh let's yeah. see. This one just says pretty good. Hey John. That was a pretty good fight, huh? Yeah. <laughs> like, like you said, zero going to the bo- end. Yep, that <laughs> that was the cherry on top because he's genuinely yes. like it was a pretty good fight. And I just love again Keanu giving so much with a single word. He just kind of looks at yeah. him like, you s- I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's such a good exchange. Um, oh, uh, this was Ian McShane. Um. And this was the scene, so when John comes back to New York and he first goes to see Winston and they're in the, the glass room and Winston pulls the pistol out and is like, basically knows, yeah, you're here to kill me, I get it. Um, that's what they sent you to do and all this. And it was, and this is this is the moment, this is why I'm not 100% sure that what he did at the end of the movie was a full-on heel turn, so much as, like you said, sort of a calculated thing, was... Yeah. You can play it either way, but with this exchange where he's like, look, who do you, you know, are you, do you want to be John who loved his wife and had a dog or do you want to be the boogeyman, the Baba Yaga, the last thing people see? And then he says, who do you wish to die as Jonathan? Who do you wish to die as? Because he knows he's like, yeah. it's inevitable that he's going to die as one of those two. And yeah, either peacefully as John or violently as John Wick. Yep. Which is why it could be a very calculated move on Winston's part to have gone through all of that, knowing that, you know, he can turn John and then just get rid of him or genuinely caring enough to get him to not just kill him on sight. Um, yeah. Cause I also like the line. I didn't cap it, but uh, I like the line of, I'd rather be killed by a friend than by an enemy. Cause yeah. that felt very of this world. Um, and then I got one Lance Reddick and it's, uh, right at the end. Well played, sir. And now I've got that one that's going to live on my soundboard forever. When yep. something <laughs> happens and I can just, oh, oh. Well played, sir. Little hat tip. Um, yep. <laughs> oh, the, the, if you, if you enjoy action films, the John Wick series is amazing. And the only reason I hadn't watched Chapter 3 until now was just waiting to, to do it for this show, quite honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think I'm going to be able to wait to watch Chapter 4. I think I'm going to have to oh, just God. watch it. Because it's just, I'm yeah. so, like, to be able to make John Wick, which is essentially almost like an independent film in a lot of ways. It was very yeah. small production. And to take what they did there and expand it and make two and now three sequels bigger... But somehow, and and interesting, and and change things, and and evolve them 
without losing what they started with, I think is really, yeah. really cool. Now, granted, you know, the further they go along, the more superhuman John Wick becomes, but at this point, yeah, I don't really care that anymore. Escalation of action. So, but, but I can park my brain because everybody's like that. This isn't our world. This is some weird alternate universe uh, that just happens yeah. to inhabit the same. Everybody looks the same, but yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so much fun. I'm really glad that, uh, that you got to watch this and I'm glad that I finally got to watch this. So this is a good pick. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, definitely enjoying the series. Uh, because it's action movies, but it's, it has so much more to it. It has like, that has a little bit more groundedness to it, which is refreshing. Uh and not having guns that just have infinite ammo all the time. Oh, uh, cause I, I started to realize that like the, one of the best parts about the first two movies, the things that made the, the action sequences so exciting was ammo management. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, this gun is empty. Do I have another magazine or do I need to grab another gun or do I need to grab a different weapon? Or, you know, that's I, what I think made the, this makes this series so exciting. So, and stuff like this happens with the, we get these kind of, uh, and it's not necessarily always one film, but there's usually you can point to one film that sort of makes, takes a genre and turns it on its head. You know, in the 90s, slasher movies and a lot of horror movies were kind of going in a certain direction. Scream came along, and while it wasn't the first self-referential slasher film, it set the tone for that Gen X, early millennial type of horror film that would be tongue in cheek and realize the ridiculousness of it. And it spawned a whole bunch of uh, sequels, but also copycats and lesser versions of it. But it gave us something new. And then in the early two thousands, we got the born identity and it changed the spy thriller action movie. It was no longer the Pierce Brosnan, James Bond that were getting like bloated and kind of overdone. And it, it stripped it back down. It's sort of like punk music in the seventies and the way that rock and like Led Zeppelin and that kind of stuff was getting crazier and more intricate. And you had all these prog bands and then, you know, guys were just like, I just want to play some hard, you know, some hard, fast music and you get punk and it strips back down. That's what this movie did. The first John wick was that it, it took the action genre it stripped it down. It made it very basic. It took the camera and backed it up and gave us uh, a different view of action, ammo management, a little more grounded in at least closer to what reality would be if you were in that situation. Um, And we've seen so many copycats and so many variations on that, whether it's, um, and and what I liked is not all of them have been uh, direct copycats. There's a lot of that sort of kind of like Die Hard did the same thing too in the '80s, and then you had that spat, uh, spate of movies that were Die Hard on a boat, Die Hard in a hockey arena, yeah. Die Hard, <laughs> and you know whatever. Yeah. There was a lot of these like John Wick esque movies, right? Nobody was one um, yeah. that luckily didn't do didn't just copycat John Wick. It just took that uh, sort of the seed. Kind of took the formula, yeah, and. Took the kernel, turn it a little bit. Um, but you had like Pig with Nick Cage that a lot of people would call you know John Wick, but with a pig, and it wasn't. (laughs) But there was some some base DNA in there, and then they took it and they went in a different direction. So 
that's how influential a movie like this can be in less than a decade oh, yeah. to have oh, yeah. John Wick with blah, blah, blah type stuff going on. And so, but to not rest on their laurels with that and to actually like keep in innovating and evolving. And to this point, Chad Stahelski has four directing credits to his name that are finished yeah. products. <laughs> and they are John Wick, John Wick chapter two, chapter three, and chapter four. <laughs> And yet they don't yeah. feel like the same movie. They feel they're in the same world, they're the same character, but each one of them is a little bit different and they bring something new to it. Yeah. And you get, while continually having that dichotomy of John versus John Wick and his his assassin personality and persona versus sort of trying to leave that behind and and all the all the homages and Easter eggs and things that they throw in and and it's just it's great stuff and I'm I'm really excited for chapter four. Yeah, so am I. So, you know, it's uh, I'm I'm really glad that we got to do this. Now you have a show you're actually going to be going to to do here shortly. Yeah, in um, like less than an hour. Uh, <laughs> called uh, the Part Time Gamers. Um, remind people where that one is. Yes, uh, part-time gamers podcast. Uh, you'll be able to find that on my Twitch channel. Uh, we're going to be recording live in a little less than an hour, actually. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Cyrenex. If you are a person with a full-time life, but you still enjoy games, uh, part-time gamers podcast is for you. We talk about games that you can play to completion or satisfaction within a relatively short amount of time. Uh, so we're, we're on our third episode of our monthly theme of Old Made New. So we're doing. We're going to be talking about the Atari Fifty uh, collection today. Nice, very cool, and I, I dig that because not everybody has time to. You know, I I love when I see games like uh, a new Diablo or a new Elder Scrolls or something come out where it's a big game. It's going to take a bunch of time, um, but sometimes you just need to find those casual games, those quick games you can pick up, play for a little while, get through them, and that's what. I, and and you guys are great talking about them too. So the part-time oh, gamers. Um, this show uh, records Sunday nights, you know, typically around 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, that can vary from week to week, but we try to be around there. show comes out on Wednesdays as a podcast, so definitely you can get it there. Um, anywhere you get your podcasts or go to tvstravis.com, uh, and you can find links to this show and other shows that I work on. Um, I have a classic television uh, podcast that I'm a part of called Those Were the Days, um, let's watch Highlander. I do, uh, I co-host a podcast on all horror movies called Gore. Uh, you can also find things like merchandise. I've got my logo on a few silly things. If you want to get a hat or a t-shirt, um, <laughs> or, uh, there's a link to a Patreon there and there's a Patreon for this show, uh, patreon.com forward slash W Y H S or go to the link on tvstravis.com for as little as a dollar an episode. You can uh, support the show that way. Um, and obviously, word of mouth, ratings and reviews, always helpful. I appreciate those all. So, next, thank you so much for being here this week. This has been a ton of fun. And uh, Indeed. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're going to sit down and have a conversation about John Wick Chapter 4 at some point after we get to watch it. Oh, Whether, yeah. It might not yeah. be an episode of the show, but we're going to have that conversation because oh, we definitely, we definitely, definitely. need to. <laughs> So, until then, uh, now next week I have um, Gerald from two peas on a podcast is coming back uh and he hasn't been on for a little while and we are going to talk about another action movie from david cronenberg um called a history of violence with vigo mortensen 
Uh, it's actually based on a graphic novel, and I'm really, I have not seen it before, and I'm really excited to watch this one because I've heard a lot about it. So that's coming up next week, uh, and I got some more fun stuff down the down the road as well. So that'll be uh, next week. Gerald Morris from Two Peas on a Podcast will be back, uh, and we'll be talking about that. That'll be the next episode. Until then, Serenix, thank you so much for being here. This has been thank you, sir. Tons of fun. Uh, people get out and check out part-time gamers it's a good show and until next time enjoy your movies Sometimes you gotta cut a motherfucker. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>